Welcome to the Alien Probe Podcast. Majestic 12, U.S. Alien and UFO Intelligence Group, The Ultimate Secret. The top secret Operation Majestic 12 was established by order of President Harry S. Truman in 1947. Operation Majestic 12 was created to take charge of the technical, sociological, and other aspects of the crashed UFOs and the small alien occupants, dead or alive, that were recovered in later years. This operation evolved into and became known as MAGI, the Majority Agency for Joint Intelligence. You're going to be hearing MAGI quite a bit throughout this entire uh, episode here. MAGI is the most secret of all intelligent groups and outranks all other intelligence agencies, including the National Security Agency, NSA, and the Central Intelligence Agency, CIA. MAGI is responsible directly and only to the President of the United States. It should be mentioned that this is this is this knowledge is this isn't secret. This is everywhere. This isn't something we you know we dredged it up, but it can be found by anyone if they dug deep enough. So um, here's what we come with. How you doing, Deb? How's I'm it going? doing good, Doug. How are you? I'm living the dream. This could be one of the most thought-provoking episodes we've done. Um, there's a lot of information that's come out lately, and um, this could actually be a plot for a nice sci-fi movie. Maybe we'll write that. Yeah, I know. What you got? Okay. The top secret MAGI project control group is responsible for every aspect of interface with the alien life forms, including security and intelligence, and disinformation to prevent the public or foreign disclosure of the alien presence. This is why all documents referring to MJ-12 or any other form of that name are not correct. MAGI is ongoing in Washington, D.C. MAGIC, MAGIC, is a security classification of all MAGI and Aquarius information. MAGIC means MAGI controlled. MAGIC is the highest security classification in the nation. MJ-1 is the director of MAGI. The director of the CIA is usually MJ-1 and reports only to the president. Other members of MAGI are designated as MJ-2, 3, 4, etc. This is the reason that MJ-12 cannot be used as a name for the control group, as it would cause confusion in meaning. Um, for example, is it referring to MJ-12 the person, MJ-12 the group? Any reference to MJ-12 is to a person and nothing else. References and documents referring to MJ-12 as a group are not correct. MAGI was originally known as the Majestic 12, a group consisting of 12 members. This group was made up of a team rep representing selected government officials, U.S. intelligence personnel, highly trained scientists, business executives, and military personnel. All were sworn to total secrecy. MAGI has continued its covert activities with the knowledge and consent of the last eight presidents. The group wow. continues to continues to function today, and has had the oh, so cool. Some new president is right now getting the brief. He's getting done. brief. That's right. Wow. Um, this group has the responsibility of establishing an ongoing relationship dating from 1964 with UFO beings called the Greys from the third planet of the star system Zeta Reticuli. Magi. Um, oh, sorry. Information forwarded to an activity of MAGI has always been assigned to an above, quote, top secret classification known as MAGIC. 
Magi, to conceal its existence, adopted the cover name of Majestic 12. It created numerous covert and compartmented subdivisions, such as Project Aquarius, Sigma, Snowbird, and Garnet, to name a few. These projects were sheltered by Magi and directed by select personnel of the Central Intelligence Agency and the National Security Agency. By secret executive memorandum, NSC 5410, Eisenhower had preceded NSC 5412 slash 1 in 1954 to establish a permanent committee to be known as Majority 12 to oversee and conduct all covert activities concerned with the alien question. NSC 5412 slash 1 was created to explain the purpose of these meetings when Congress and the news media became curious. Majority 12 was made up of Nelson Rockefeller, the director, and I bear, bear in mind, this is kind of dry, but we're going somewhere with this, so stay with us. Majority 12 make up, uh, was made up of Nelson Rockefeller, the director of the CIA, Alan Welsh Dulles, the Secretary of State, John Foster Dulles, the Secretary of Defense, Charles E. Wilson, the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Admiral Arthur W. Radford, the Director of the FBI, J. Edgar Hoover, and six men from the Executive Committee of the Council on Foreign Relations, known as the Wise Men. These men were all members of a secret society of scholars that called themselves the Jason Society, or the Jason Scholars, who recruited their members from the Skull and Bones and the Scroll and Key Societies of Harvard and Yale. You may remember from our APP Episode 7, Jason uh, was involved in the, in the electronic harassment uh, discussion. The wise men were key members of the Council on Foreign Relations. There were 12 members, including the first six from government positions, thus the majority 12. This group was made up over the years of the top officials and directors of the Council on Foreign Relations and later the Trilateral Commission. Gordon Dean, George Bush, Zbigniewski were among them. The most important and influential of the wise men who served on Majestic 12 were John McCloy, Robert Lovett, Avril Herrmann, Charles Boheen, George Kennan, and Dean Acheson. It is significant that President Eisenhower, as well as the first six Majestic 12 members from the government, were also members of the Council on Foreign Relations. However, not all of the wise men attended, attended Harvard or Yale. Not all of them were chosen from the Skull and Bones or the Scroll and Key membership during their college years. Research indicates that various members were chosen on an ongoing basis by invitation based upon merit and was not confined to those who had attended only Harvard or Yale. Further information regarding this can be obtained from the book, The Wise Men by Waller Isaacson and Evan Thomas, uh, published by Simon & Schuster, New York. A chosen few were later initiated into the Jason Society. They are all members of the Council on Foreign Relations and at that time were known as, quote, Eastern Establishment. The Jason Society is alive and well today, but has expanded to include members of the Trilateral Commission as well. The Trilateralists existed secretly several years before 1973. Uh, the name of the Trilateral Commission was taken from the 
alien flag known as the trilateral insignia. We did not know there was an alien flag. I didn't know. So they they fly the flag. They have the spaceship cruising through space. And they fly it off the antenna like the Trump flags. Exactly. You and know, so they they got it from the pirates. <laughs> space is like you know the seas. <laughs> That's crazy. A little background in 1947, and again in the early 50s, in the Roswell era. Army and Air Force military units on direct orders from the Pentagon rushed to various sites of UFO crashes located in the southwestern part of the United States and carted away the unearthly remains. Remains consisting of both crashed UFOs and their alien occupants. The 1947 events prompted the creation of Operation Majestic 12 by President Truman. The wreckage and dead bodies obtained from these early crash retrievals were originally stored at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio. We're just kind of kind of reading this like, yeah, well, you know, alien spaceships and crash debris. And holy crap. They're in Ohio. According to military sources who later went against orders and decided to talk, that's the reason why we have any of this information, I'm guessing, Hangar 18 was used for this purpose. All reports of crashed UFOs and extraterrestrial contacts have always bypass normal reporting procedures and channels of the military and other intelligence agencies. Instead, they went directly to Project Aquarius. All hard information regarding UFOs was routed directly to Operation Majestic 12. This is kind of how I think the Roswell incident happened. I'm not sure if anything happened before that, but I think they developed a procedure as to how they were going to deal with the public, and then how to clean up the mess, basically. And then the research. This explains why other intelligence agencies in Project Blue Book, the official and public Air Force investigated activity, never received this information or knew about crashed UFOs, recovered spacecraft, or alien beings. Blue Book is a seems to be, or was, it's no more, a disinformation group. You have those guys come and interview you, you said, hey, I saw a UFO. They say it was Venus, and you go, okay, sorry. And that's the way that went. Behind them, they reported to people that had the UFO and all the wreckage from other incidents. In later years, a joint CIA Air Force covert operation using six C-124 aircraft recovered the wreckage instruments, dead bodies, and alien artifacts of crashed UFOs from Wright-Patterson, and other Air Force bases worldwide and move them to a newly built underground storage facility at Edwards Air Force Base in California. The entrance to this underground facility is through a hangar located at the end of the same runway now used by NASA's space shuttles. Well, you know, at this time, you can see this information may be a little dated. <laughs> They're not running space shuttles anymore. According to an eyewitness testimony, the CIA agent in charge of the covert operation, wearing the uniform of an Air Force colonel, was named William C. Cooper. Note the information in the preceding paragraph was supplied by an eyewitness who participated in the covert operation described, working side by side with the CIA agent in charge. The witness testifies that this is the same William C. Cooper who had been prominent since 1988 in the civilian UFO movement. Now, this is where it gets good. 
You're squeaking. You're squeaking. The, the ultimate secret is that Maggi and the U.S. government has in its possession spaceships manufactured on other worlds, as well as the occupants of those interstellar crafts. And that, since 1964, they have maintained radio contact with the aliens through Project Sigma. Yikes. Yeah, I know. Yikes, it's ongoing. They have also entered into various tactical and quote, trade agreements with the beings from Zeta Reticuli named the Greys. Yeah, this is the star system that's not across, you know. The, it's over there. It's like, yeah, it's not like right across town. It's 39.3 light years from Earth. Zeta Reticuli might sound familiar. It's been a part of the modern UFO lore almost since the beginning, dating back to the reported alien abduction case. Barney and Betty Hill, they claim they were abducted by aliens in the fall of 61, and Betty, under hypnosis, drew a map, a sexual star map, uh -huh. of where they were taken. That is so freaky. That is bizarre. Um, and as a other note, communication with the Greys by Project Sigma has been an accomplished fact since April of 1964. Therefore, the NASA-sponsored SETI program, which SETI. is... SETI, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, is merely being used as another method to provide covert funding for MAGI projects under the, the guise of a legitimate program. The Greys, as they're part of the trade agreement, were to provide MAGI and the U.S. government with various forms of advanced technology. In exchange, the Greys are provided with secret bases of operation within the United States, bases protected by the Greys and U.S. military forces. In exchange, Maggi agreed to conceal all knowledge of their presence. Part of these trade agreements was an exchange program that allowed the aliens to, you know, abduct U.S. <laughs> citizens for experimental medical, psychological, and genetic research purposes. The Greys were to provide lists of such persons abducted to the National Security Agency, you know, a list, right, for yeah. later government follow-up if such persons, <laughs> when released, you know, required medical or, you know, psychological adjustment. So they scoop them up. This is a discussion we've had. We, they scoop them up. They put this thing in their brain. They let them go. They're not keeping them underground with or wherever they are, these so they're bases. They're just studying them. They're like guinea pigs. They're like, we're like the alien ant farm or the ant yeah. farm or whatever. We're, what are they doing? How do they act? Or is there a plan to do something with this thing and make well, we'll, humans act a certain way or do a certain thing at a set time. We're going to talk a little bit about that in a, in a little bit. This, you know, this okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I got you this. Dig it. I got this. You Doug. got this? Yeah. All right. So during 1972 and 73, during a two-year period there, an area south of Groom Lake, which is, um, this is one of our nation's most secret test centers in Nevada, was closed. The huge underground facility was constructed for and with the help of the Greys. I don't know if they did the digging, you know, but the, the facility was built south of Area 51 in another location named Area S4. So they actually closed Area 51? Oh, no, they an area south, south of 51. S4. Yeah. Okay. okay, all right. This location is just east of and adjacent to the Nevada Atomic Test Site, you know, Nevada, or Nevada, <laughs> um, you know. Uh, the bargain for technology was set in place, but, of course, could only be operated by the Greys themselves to prevent their advanced technology being used against them. You know how we are. Yes. 
us humans. Uh, another underground secret base was provided the Greys in a location known as, quote, ice caves near the Los Alamos Laboratory Facility in New Mexico. Over a period of the next six years, four more secret bases were provided the Greys in other isolated areas of the United States. From 79 to 83, it became increasingly <laughs> obvious to Maggi things were not going as planned. Oh, oh, shocking. At this point, they figured out more people um, in the thousands <laughs> were being abducted than were being listed on the oh, quote, official abduction list. I would they, love to they see that. They buried off the list. And what method did they use of reporting? Do they have like a tablet? It's again electronic. It's a clipboard. I'm always into the clip. It's, clip it's a, clipboard a clipboard and a pen. The list the Grays were supplying, um, the, the the official abduction list, which was the list the Grays were supplying them. Um, it was apparent the abductions included much more than simple monitoring experiments of an advanced civilization. Bob Lazar was, and uh, he he did a awesome interview with, and I mentioned it before, with Joe Rogan on YouTube, and um, he was in Area 51 at S4 doing UFO, UFO reverse engineering in the late 80s, allegedly, but I mean, the story, if you're not a believer, you listen to that story coming out with, with Bob Lazar and uh, Joe Rogan, it, it's phenomenal. Thousands of people go missing in the United States each year. And many are never heard from again. According to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, roughly 800,000 children are reported missing each year in the United States. That's roughly 2,000 people per day. And that's a general internet statement. So I, I read that and I thought, holy shit, really? And Deb, do you know, you know anybody who's disappeared? I don't. Um... But what the people that we're dealing with here, they shouldn't actually be counted as disappeared. These are people that were just borrowed, right? Yeah, and they well, they take them. I mean, the fact and that then they they're reported missing. The fact that half a million people in America go missing, and that's just one nation go missing every year, is scary. Yeah, according to the FBI in 2019, and then I so I dug into this. And I thought that's crazy. I mean, they're they're missing, but they could have been found. Correct. Like you were saying, if they could have been found, they could have come back home. They could have, you know, not just, but not everybody came, you know. So according to the FBI in 2019, there were 421,394 NCIC entries for missing children. In 2018, the number of missing children entries into the NCIC was 424,066. Almost half a million. Where, I mean, yeah, okay. I'm thinking kids run away, they come home. Right. I, I, that I've yeah. experienced with my friends growing up where you ever have a friend, I run away from home. Oh, yeah, there's. And then they come back the next day or they always, the parents kind of always knew where they were, but right. they. They're just staying. Blowing somewhere. off steam or whatever they're doing. But where are they putting them? Well, um, in 1979, things had gotten almost entirely out of hand when it became known the Greys had implanted a tiny probe, three millimeters in size, into the brains of certain abductees before they you know, released them. Magi investigators determined the probe could be used 
to hypnotically and telepathically program and monitor this person. In For addition, we'll again we alien ant farm. I don't know. In addition, some abductees were programmed with unknown post-hypnotic commands. The Greys also implanted tracking devices just under the skin on some of the abductees so they could monitor their movements. Attempts uh, by hypnosis to determine the nature of this hypnotic programming and commands implanted by the Greys triggered life-threatening physical symptoms in these individuals, making these experts unsuccessful. It was later discovered that the Greys were performing genetic crossbreeding experiments or um, on some of these human female abductees. That's, well, I don't think we signed up for that. No, and, you know, so how did we know that the people, where did we find the people? Did they give us the list and then we try to hypnotize them? And, you know, find, and then that's where they freak out and do whatever they're doing. I think maybe, we try to hypnotize and find out what's going on. Maybe these are people that went to the government saying there's something wrong with me and we tried to figure out They have out that what. small three millimeter because thing in their brain. The clipboard is not going to contain the people that they did these things to. Yeah, they don't want to report that to the government. That's They're not supposed to do that. Well, I, and I've seen this thing where they dig, they find this thing. It's not necessarily in their brain. It's just a piece of it's metal that's like in their arm under their skin. Yeah. And the other thing with the crossbreeding, I mean, it's there's, there's, you know, stories out there or whatever that, you know, we're the, we're, we are the result of genetic crossbreeding of the aliens from hundreds and thousands of years ago, which if any of the rest of this is true, that could be too. But, you know, it's interesting. If I can have some alien DNA, can it be like, you know, not gain weight when I eat three cheesecakes? Yeah, I know. Well, they're all thin. You know, yeah. you know, I've never heard of any, you know, overweight. Pudgy alien? Yeah, pudgy. <laughs> yeah, because those ones get eaten. <laughs> yeah, they're food. Um, in 1983, Maggie discovered the full magnitude of the grand deception put over by the Greys. They were also shocked when the Soviet Union admitted that they, too, had been deceived and that the Greys had entered into similar treaties and agreements with them. You know, you always think it's just yep. you. Maggie was in a state of confusion and near panicked as they realized their plans were dashed, along with their hopes and dreams of obtaining the Greys' technology and the secrets of interstellar space flight. Well, we, we wanted to take over, the. We wanted to be a superpower like we are. Right. It, but we want to be more of a superpower, but it also would be nice for interstellar space travel. Well, we want that first. You know, uh, yeah, we want to take over the world. We know we want to make sure that, you know, there's no mutual destruction. We want to make sure we're, yeah, we are. Because we won't screw it up. No, it's uh, not. This caused Maggie to become split along factional lines. One faction advocated confessing the scheme mm -hmm. and the shambles that had become to the public begging their forgiveness and asking for their support. Well, you know how that would have went. This is the faction that is responsible for the leaks of sensitive information regarding the activities of Operation Majestic 12 and allowing us to know allowing what us we're to talking know what's about going right on now. here because they said, well, people need to know that this is happening. Yeah, well, the other faction rejected then, this. Then there's these guys. <laughs> saying, no, you're not going to do that. Saying no way, uh, uh, no way in hell were they going to do that, even though the situation was untenable, stating there was no use in alarming the public of either country with this horrific truth. But they did. What you don't know won't hurt you, right? But but it, it's, well, it's always it's out there. Alleged. So. Yeah. Of course, the section, the second faction won out, and their plans to develop a weapon that could be used against the Greys 
was accepted by the Soviet Union under the guise of, quote, SDI, which was a joint U.S.-Soviet effort. The Strategic Defense Initiative, Star Wars. This we weapon was developed, SDI, oh, under this, the, this effort, the, the weapon was developed. SDI has nothing whatsoever to do with the defense against Soviet nuclear missiles. The nickname Star Wars was closer to the truth than the uninformed public ever realized. Okay, just as a point. So that has nothing to do with the Soviet Union. We're just doing this, okay, I get it, to beat the Greys. But, you know, everybody wanted to hate Russia back then, so... It was easy. That's it was easy for us, yeah. and, and they did the same with their people. Some parts of the Strategic Defense Initiative did manage to endure and actually are increasingly being used around the world today. The ground-to-air missile defense systems, originally meant to be the last line of defense, are now a staple of international defense technology. The bulk of the Star Wars program was eventually eliminated, however, despite lofty goals of it being an impenetrable and innovative defense system, in the end, the obstacles it faced were simply far too great. Politically controversial, technological problem, technologically problematic, and financially impossible, it was ultimately abandoned. Now it is merely a historical footnote, and an occasional tool, an, an occasional tool of irony for trivia buffs to reference each year on National Star Wars Day. The alarm publicly expressed by the Soviet Union regarding SDI and its opposition to the program were all, were all artfully crafted to conceal the joint nature of the program and to prevent the Greys learning its real purpose. The U.S. and the Soviet Union have been secret allies since 1983. Primarily, SDI is a weapon for use against the Greys underground bases or any attempted invasion from space. However, the, to achieve funding from Congress and support from the people and to conceal its real nature from the Greys, it had to be presented as a defense against a nuclear, nuclear strike and the USSR. The Soviet equivalent of MAGI used the same technique, the development of a weapon to protect the country from a U.S. nuclear strike to obtain covert funding from the joint effort, for the joint effort. So they're doing it. We're all hiding this from these guys. They'll never figure it out. We need them out of here. We've got to have an effort. They're, they're, they're like capturing too many people, putting too many things in people's heads, and they're... They're having mind control over too many people. This has got to come to a stop, so, right? So let's let's. So we can put together something that they'll they'll never figure out we're doing behind their back. They're so stupid. You know, this is a science fiction movie. Okay, <laughs> so the the threat from the Greys is taken so seriously by Maggie that my favorite president, by the way, President Reagan, adamantly refused any concessions on SDI. He continued to vigorously pursue its development and deployment in, in spite of uninformed scientific and congressional opposition. These opponents never knew its real and intended purpose. Okay, so to accomplish the true objective of the SDI program, Maggi created another ultra-secret project yep. named Project Zeus. Project Zeus is revealed here, of course, by us for the very first time. Project Zeus, created under the umbrella of MAGI, is charged with the real purpose, direction, management, development, and eventual deployment of the SDI weapons system. 
It was aptly named for the mythical Greek god Zeus, only this time it's an angry Zeus. Hurling, he's an angry he's Zeus. He's an angry Zeus, <laughs> hurling laser and particle beam lightning bolts into the heavens an against Zeus. an alien attack or deflected by mirrors against secret alien bases on the Earth. In 1984, President Reagan, in a public address, established the tone and seriousness of this endeavor when he deliberately or inadvertently <laughs> let, slip, let slip the remarks that the world may one day unite to fight a threat from outer space. This was followed by a series of subsequent remarks during the latter days of his term of office. The basic information revealing the existence of Operation Majestic 12, the crash UFOs, alien beings, and their secret bases within the United States was obtained through the Freedom of Information Act from the files of the CIA, the NSA, the FBI, the State Department, the U.S. Air Force, um, and then other intelligence data obtained by the Phoenix Project has contributed to this report. These documents reveal the, quote, above top secret nature of Operation Majestic 12. They also verify that the scientific discovery of all time has been hidden from the people of Earth and that both communications and relationships with extraterrestrial aliens, alien beings have been, already been achieved and that the radical new technology the Greys possess could alter human civilization overnight. Some of these documents obtained by various civilian researchers verify the fact that we are not alone in the universe. The additional information contained in this report and some of the conclusions are based on intelligence information from other confidential sources. Yeah, I think we got more from them than just Velcro and printed circuits. You think? Yeah, but I think we wanted more space. I don't think we're... It's taken us a long time to get these rovers onto Mars, so I don't think we were quite there yet. Also on Project Zeus in 1980, Lieutenant General Daniel O. Graham, not O. Graham, the, you know, He's just not Irish. O, not Irish, Department of Defense Strategic Analyst stated, We need a bold new approach. We must stop competing with the Greys in areas where we can't win. And begin to compete where we have the advantage. Wonder where that this is. is compete. It's almost like war. Yeah, well. It sounds like war on Earth. I mean, they're doing something we don't like, and now we're trying to stop them. Well, they're breeding us. Yeah. They're, we're not guinea pigs. The result, a book by General Graham entitled The High Frontier and the National Security Agency NSA-funded Project High Frontier. The project used some of the nation's best engineers and development scientists. The book and the project were the red herring technique to sell the concept and proposal to Congress, scientists, and the defense and aerospace industries. It supposedly was a bold new defense plan for the United States and Western civilization. This was followed by another book, The Strategy of Technology by Stefan Pozzani and Jerry Pornell, who, by the way, is a science fiction writer. Ah. Um, it should be mentioned that neither of these two authors dreamed their book would be used to further promote the purposes of Magi and Project Zeus. Its concept was to abandon the doctrine of mutual assured destruction, MAD, in favor of assured survival in any conflict with the USSR. At least that's what we said. The foregoing concepts a Western civilization defense plan, and the cohort efforts directed against the Greys, Project Zeus, orchestrated by Magic, were presented to President Ronald Reagan. That presentation was successful on March 23, 1983.
President Reagan made his famous Star Wars speech and labeled it the Strategic Defense Initiative, SDI. Only in later speeches near the end of his term in office did President Reagan publicly mention the possibility of a hostile encounter with extraterrestrials. The importance of this endeavor and the serious nature of the threat presented by the Greys and the consequences if Project Zeus were aborted explain why the president would not budge from his SDI position. Even in the most critical of nuclear arms reduction negotiations with the USSR, or critics in the scientific community and Congress. It also explains why President George Bush, still the head of MAGI, continued to press forward with the SDI project when he was in office. Okay. According to public statements by General James Abrahamson, SDI project director, research has turned up five ways the weapon could and would work. SDI SDI Project Zeus, the covert operation against any possible space threat, threatening action or invasion attempts by the Greys, is based on two technical, technological, technological <laughs> discoveries. Is that <laughs> no. uh, number one, that ground-based lasers are a feasible and a likely way to defend a nation. Enormous lasers could be built. This sounds like a Dr. Evil thing. Yeah. Enormous lasers could That's be built right. near large hydroelectric plants and operational nuclear power plants, diverting the enormous output of these sources to laser weapons. With such enormous lasers and mirrors in orbit to redirect the energy, it would not be necessary to, quote, point and shoot such weapons. You could just rest an entire target area, sweeping the beam in a deadly conical pattern to eliminate any target. Plant Planet-based laser weapons of such power could reach beyond the moon to engage and destroy hostile spaceships. And two, development and deployment of high-powered particle beam weapons from orbiting space platforms and ground-based installations. MAGI's plans called for the funding, planning, development, testing, and operational aspects of Project Zeus to be concealed within the compartmented SDI program. NASA without knowledge of the real purpose, would orbit the necessary tracking and data relay satellites and the Department of Defense payloads of laser mirrors. These SDI payloads were disguised and classified as military communication spy and navigational satellites. On April 4, 1983, Project Zeus got off the ground with the main flight of the Space Shuttle Challenger, a clear indication of the high priority this project commanded. The first of the SDI Tracking and Data Relay Satellites, TDRS-A, was placed in orbit, without the knowledge of the aliens, apparently, huh? Yes. Um, this was followed on August 30th, 1984, when the shuttle Discovery, on its maiden flight, launched SINCOM-4-2, the second communication satellite for the Department of Sense, the DOD. The SINCOM satellites are DOD's high-priority command and communication links with all U.S. military forces worldwide. The ongoing NASA missions concerned with Project Zeus and SDI are identified in the attached exhibits. And we there's a lot, at the end of this, there's a laundry list of Project Zeus and this, Project Zeus and that. But, I mean, it, we were going at it. Note, it is obvious that the Greys became suspicious of the intense launch activity of NASA and the number of Defense Department DOD payloads being placed in orbit. 
more than would be log logically be needed to counter a nuclear strike by the USSR. So they got suspicious. They're suspicious. Evidence to support this is their increasing surveillance of the spatial missions and the reported intercept boarding and inspection of the shuttle Discovery's cargo on 31389. They must suspect the real purpose of the SDI program. Isn't, he, he isn't can, the shuttle launch kind of a protected area? Yeah, and it's did they go on? I mean, the, I was I've never been allowed to just walk up. Hey, I'd like to look inside the shuttle. Well, they're alien. It's like they're. I've heard different stories. Like they could be shapeshifters. They can come on looking like other like people. They can maybe they. While they had the shuttle bay open, I said shuttle bay, that's a Star Trek, but they haven't watched a Star Trek. <laughs> so the shuttle doors are open and maybe they just popped in with their clip, your clipboard. Yeah. And then taking inventory. What you papers, people doing? Your papers, please. And then they made them, okay, this is what we're carrying. This is just, this is just some communication stuff. It does not look like. But we're worried about Russia. It does not look like. It is. Communication. This look, clearly looks like an STI you want, defense. Are you trying to blow up an alien? Is yeah, that what you I, people are doing? No, I'm not feeling the love. Okay. I, I don't I just think that the space shuttle is not somewhere they just let people wander in and out of. I don't know how they boarded it, but I mean, you we've, know. We've, we've watched those. There's, there's not a lot of people just, you know, wandering. I would have home. loved to wander on there and look around, but nah. nah yeah. Wasn't an alien. Okay, well, Operation Majestic 12 was created by the executive order of President Truman on September 24, 1947. The first head of it was Dr. Vannevar Bush, the president's chief science advisor, which I guess, you know, kind of coincides with the Roswell incident on July 7th of 1947. Absolutely. Took him a couple months to, to get figure out, oh, you together. know, we have a problem here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have a real problem, not the, the balloon kind. It was, it was a balloon. <laughs> the balloon and the fake people on the, the dummy kind. The, uh, the current head of Majestic 12, which is known variously as Majority 12, Majority MJ-12, Majority Agency for Joint Intelligence, and Vice President and former CIA Director George Bush. Uh, as of 1889, President George Bush was uh, the, current, the head of Majestic 12 and all those other names. Yeah. Today, this group operates under the public name of the Senior Interagency Group, or SIG. The organizational structure of MAGI is as follows. Um, Grudge Project Aquarius, uh, that is an umbrella group in consisting of MAGI, the CIA, the NSA, in which all of the various compartments dealing with ET-related issues perform their various functions. Under Project Aquarius, four groups, each consisting of several hundred persons, conduct secret UFO investigations and research in four assigned areas of the United States. So, okay, now we're going to Here make, we go. We've got separate projects under this umbrella of Project Aquarius R. Project Grudge. Grudge. This, this project was originally established in 1953 by order of President Eisenhower and is currently under the control of the CIA, the NSA, and MAGI. Project Grudge went underground and another project, Project Sign, was established as a cover operation. In 1960, the project's name was changed from Project Sign to Project Blue Book. Project Aquarius became the overall umbrella operation controlling all of these projects. 
Project Aquarius was funded by CIA Confidential Fund, which are non-appropriated, and the project assumed full responsibility for investigation and intelligence of UFOs and IACs in December of 1969 after Project Grudge slash Blue Book was closed. The purpose of Project Aquarius was to collect all scientific, technological, medical, and intelligence information from UFO IAC sightings and contacts with alien life forms. This orderly file of collected information has been used to advance the United States space program and provided the data needed to develop present stealth technology. Yeah, the, the SR-71 was first flight in December of 64 was, I feel, is alien technology. That thing was so far ahead of its time. I was just, we just uh, accidentally discovered that. We just that. felt, yeah, Kelly Johnson just, uh, yeah, this, I this, looks, this. this looks like a good, you know, this, this, look, this looks fun to develop, and that thing is a monster and was for years. Um, then we have Aquarius Project Plato, originally established as... Plato? Plato. Oh, okay, not the clay. We will not be making spaceships okay. out of dough. Oh, originally okay. established as part of Project Sign in 1954 to establish diplomatic relations with the aliens. This project was successful when mutually acceptable terms were agreed upon. I'd love to see that agreement. Mm -hmm. These terms involve the exchange of technology for secrecy of the alien presence and non-interference in alien affairs. This project is controlled by a secret task force headquartered at the Los Alamos National Laboratories in New Mexico. And, you know, it's ongoing. Um, and then and it's still going on yeah, today. That's what it says. I don't, well, you know, once mm -hmm. you make an agreement, you can't. You're stuck in it now. This is frightening, if it's true. Um, now we have Project Sigma, which conducts electronic communications with elect extraterrestrials. It's part of an ongoing contact project run by and through the NSA since as early as late 1963, which led to the Holloman AF Air Force Base incident of April 25, 1964. Um, this information... Keep it squeaking. Posted by this information was posted by Condorcet on February 19, 2004. Um, on April 24, 1964, three flying saucers were reportedly seen over Holloman Air Force Base in New Mexico. Rumor has it that one saucer landed on the tarmac and extraterrestrials disembarked from the craft to, you know, communicate with government officials, have a little chat. Yeah, there was, and what did we, who did we decide? Well, Johnson. Oh, that's right. Who was yeah, the president? Yeah, about that, that time, time, right after Kennedy, unfortunately. Um, you know, there was a visit. For, he disappeared from another disappearance. He did, He was at a meeting somewhere. I thought it was California, Nevada or somewhere, and I thought it was a train. It was some weird thing, like he was on a train or a plane, and he disappeared for hours. Nobody was really, some people were like freaking out about it, but he just like showed back up and it was just really kind of bizarre. That is weird. So I don't know, maybe it's. He went for a ride? Yeah, maybe. Well, you know, you're going to want to go for a ride. Um, next we have Aquarius Project Garnet. Uh, this project was closed down supposedly when they completed their studies. Project Garnet's purpose was to investigate extraterrestrial influence on human affairs and evolution. And then we have Grudge Aquarius Project Red Light. This was originally established in 1954 
The mission of Project Red Light was to test fly recovered alien craft. Now, this is fun. Yeah. This project car carried out at Area 51 um, at Groom Lake and Area S4 in Nevada was postponed after every attempted result <laughs> resulted in destruction of the craft and the death of the pilots. Project mm -hmm. Red Light was resumed in 1972 because... Those, you know, we'd all forgotten how many people died in 1954. Well, we don't give up. Keep flying those things until you fly them and you put it back together and you try it again. UFO sightings of craft accompanied by black helicopters are Project Red Light's assets. This project is ongoing at Area 51 in Nevada. Yeah, Lazar did say he would hang out at the... Uh, near the base and with his pals and drink beer and wait for these things to fly over. I mean, these were not aliens, allegedly. These are like our guys flying these things. And they, I mean, they go, you know, here and there. And, you know, they got the three lights under them, which is the propulsion thing. And and then all of a sudden he turns around and there's the base security. So, Get the um, but it, they, it, it sounds like, well, allegedly that it's something real. Um, and then, um, Project Snowbird uh, was orig originally established in 1954. Its mission to develop using conventional technology uh, and fly a flying saucer type craft for the public. This project was successful when a craft oh, was built and flown in front of the press. This project was used to explain UFO sightings and to divert the public attention from Project Red Light. Yeah, I saw that and I went, what the fuck? So I looked. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking around. Well, there, there is a. I'm like, oh, there must be a picture if the press is involved. So, I looked in there, and there's a, you know, a picture of a. Yeah, it's a UFO, but it's about six feet wide, and a little guy in the middle of it. And it's in. They use conventional. They looks like they somehow used some gas engines and propellers and things to get the thing to go aloft. But I mean, it was only the thing was only like five feet in the air, and it's just got this man sitting in the middle of it. And there's no. There's no canopy or anything. It's just a guy sitting in there. And, well, he could go oh, to this space. is what it was. You can clearly see that this is what UFOs are. Exactly. You know, and I don't know if they bought it, but so it's kind <laughs> of Of course they did. Um, and then we have Aquarius Project Pluto, which was established to evaluate all UFO slash IAC information pertaining to alien space visitors. Uh, this project is ongoing. Um, I guess... You know, you never stop tracking, right? No. Uh, and then we have Pluto Project Pounce, originally known as Project Moondust. This project was formed to recover all of the down and crashed craft and aliens and provided cover stories and operations to mask the true endeavor when necessary. Covers which have been used include crashed experimental aircraft, construction mining, um, Etc. This project has also been successful and continues to this day. Yeah, it's uh, it sounds a little scoochy. It's what? it sounds like a bunch of disinformation. Like right? there's one group that's disinformation. Cover stories. There's an exactly. There's, there's another group that they're still crashing. I guess they're still crashing these things, and we're still at because like, are they going to pick it up themselves? And look, hey, you know what? We our agreement should be if you wreck your shit, pick it up. Well, you want to send another you know, ship to come I get, get it? Yeah, send up another ship with a tow, tow hook on the end of its little flying saucer and get rid of it. Don't expect us to clean up your mess. You know, well, now we got to cover the story up 
Your idiot crashed the thing into the side of a mountain. You got a bunch of dead aliens in there. Now I got to pick those guys up too. What do you want me to do with it? You know, it, it's now I got to put them in the refrigerator. Yes, you do. You know, because we got to study you that. You're them. probably not going to like that either. And you you got to hide them now. I don't know. We've we've don't know. we've built a lot of underground bunkers. Yeah. Okay. And now we have Aquarius Project Gabriel. Can can Gabriel? Oil your chair. <laughs> this project was tasked with developing, and you cannot sit still. This task, this project was, was tasked with developing a low-frequency pulse sound generator when it was determined that the alien weapons and craft would be vulnerable to this weapon. It is questionable whether this project exists today. It was derived from technology captured from Germany during and after World War II. Intelligence sources have verified its previous existence, but cannot verify whether it is ongoing or has been terminated. And now we have, I like this name, Aquarius Project Excalibur. Excalibur. Established to develop a weapon which would destroy the alien underground bases and any future underground bases which the aliens might construct. It is to be a missile capable of penetrating a thousand meters of hard packed soil, such as that found in New Mexico with no operational damage. Missile apogee is not to exceed 30,000 feet AGL. I don't know what that means. Impact must not deviate in excess of 50 meters from a designated target. 30s were the apogee. This device is designed to carry a one megaton nuclear warhead. This project is ongoing at the WX division. Say that. Los Los Alamos, New Mexico. But it's still in development. In a secured area of the basement of CIA headquarters in Langley, Virginia, are 16 columns of fire. 16 columns. I would just like to spin. Just give me some Taco Bell and Bud Light, and I just want to sit in there for a week. My God. Hopefully it's the bathroom. But uh, columns of file cabinets containing thousands of folders of documented information collected from the beginning of the United States investigation of unidentified flying objects and identified alien crafts, IAC. That's kind of a new term to me. These are the files of Operation Majestic 12 and Project Aquarius and are known as the Bible. The Bible contains all the various reports on aspects of alien visitation. So all in one room, you can find out everything there is to know, and you know there's in file cabinets, and somewhere right? there's a log of every document. Yes, because every document gets logged. That's it. Yeah, controlled. So, so yeah. there's there's a log of all this stuff. How cool would it be to? Oh, I just want to go log? in there and just just you know just spend a month there. Some past and present members of Operation Majestic Twelve and Magi include, and I'll just mention the highlights. There's 32 names here. We don't really need That's the entire cool. group. Uh, Nelson Rockefeller, advisor, President Eisenhower of the Jason Society. J. Edgar Hoover, former director of FBI. James Schlesinger, well, Schlesinger, former White House press secretary. John J. McCloy, CFR, Jason Society. Robert Lovett, Jason Society. And yeah, we had him on the, well, not him, but the Jason Society was on the electronic harassment episode of APP. Dr. Henry Kissinger, former presidential advisor. I guess he would have to be involved in this in some manner. George Bush, former director of CIA and president of the United States. That's the first George Bush. That's not first the second. George. 
Robert M. Gates, director of the CIA's. Okay, so the existence of Operation Majestic 12 has been revealed by the dissident element within Majority 12 and leaked to the public on at least three occasions. Okay, this is how this came about. So first of all, on April 9th of 1983, to an independent television documentary producer, Linda Howe. Ms. Howe was under contract with HBO, the cable TV network, to produce a documentary entitled UFOs, The ET Factor. On this date, Ms. Howe was shown a document regarding Majestic 12 by an Air Force officer. It was entitled, A Briefing Paper for the President of the United States of America on the Subject of Unidentified Flying Vehicles. The name Magic was prominent at the head of the document. Um, this was, so note, um, former agent Richard Doty, Air Force Office of Special Investigation, is the officer mentioned in this paragraph. Um, the second incident, in December of 1984, via the U U.S. mail, in a plain brown envelope to private UFO investigator Bill Moore and his film producer, producer, producer friend and associate Mr. Jaime Shendera, Mr. Bill Moore is a well-known private UFO investigator and is co-author with Charles Berlitz of the book The Roswell Incident. Unknown to the public is the fact that Bill Moore was recruited as an agent of the CIA. The envelope contained an undeveloped roll of 35 millimeter film. When the film was processed, it contained a photograph of a briefing paper prepared for President-elect Eisenhower and other documents. The first page of the documents is reproduced and shown as Exhibit A. Uh, other sections of the document contained information regarding details of crashed UFOs and humanoid bodies and information regarding the ultra-secret Operation Majestic 12 group, which deals with these issues. And the third incident on May 31st, 1987, when the existence of an ultra-secret U.S. UFO project, Majestic, was published on the front page of the London Observer, a British newspaper. British writer Timothy Good had obtained the information through sources connected with England's Ministry of Defense. In 1988, it was alleged that Bill Moore had become an agent of Operation Majestic 12 and had been, quote, planted in the civilian UFO movement for the purpose of providing disinformation to the mis to misguide and confuse other UFO researchers. So he was just a double agent of all, all over the wow. place, wasn't he? Various NASA missions followed, predominantly Project Zeus-related. And there's, a, again, laundry list of projects. I'll just, for example, um, in STS-41D, um, there was a Project Zeus. Um, they're all listed as Project Zeus, 11884, STS-51, 12485, STS-51, and on. It goes on and on about it, how... It tells us all the stuff that it was carrying. Yeah. The, um, some of them said they had, like, misdirected satellites to, um, I guess, to confuse... Yeah, this one says this is the maiden flight of the shuttle. And while well, 10385 um, shuttle Atlantis, STS 51J, um, this was the maiden flight of the shuttle Atlantis and the second mission dedicated solely to the Department of Defense. Its cargo was classified. Well, okay. not anymore. Um, it was Project Zeus. We don't exactly know if it was mirrors or whatever it was they covered up. And 
you know, every one of these has, I don't know if it goes into, this one actually has uh, Project Zeus um, shuttle discovery mission STS-26 payload, a 4,905-pound 4, communication satellite, the tracking and data relay satellite, one of the largest and heaviest application satellites ever sent into orbit. TRSC was the prime objective of the mission and is expected to improve Earth-to-space and space-to-Earth voice and data exchanges. TDRSC will increase the capacity of command data flows for unmanned research and application satellites orbiting at relatively low altitudes. The STS-26 crew are all experienced astronauts. So for a while here, we sent missions constantly. I mean, there are just so many of these shuttles. I did not realize we sent that many shuttles. Yeah, and it's a project almost not every, but this is what we were talking about earlier. The aliens got suspicious because all of a sudden we got communication satellites going up all over the place. Well, you know, we have, it very well could be. You know, it's just one of those things where, you know, is it, is it the Star Wars initiative? Is it, it, it you know? It, or was this just something that we had? I mean, we, we developed this space shuttle's and we were technology putting, and yeah. we used it. We, I mean, we advanced so far yeah. in that time with all these satellites. And I mean, that's why we have these amazing communications that we have. C certainly all UFO people that study UFOs and aliens and convey other podcasters and things, I'm sure already are familiar with this entire story. This isn't anything earth shattering <laughs> news. I don't want to make it seem it, like, you know, I know a lot of people out. But having aliens underground making experiments is a little bit earth shattering. Yeah, and the little. fact that we've actually spent time to try and develop a weapon that we can shoot into the ground to get rid of them. That makes yeah. it sound like they're still under there. Yeah, it could be. A, is it a problem? Have we got this? Do we have this under control? No, probably not. And, you know, if it's real. It's scary. And someday they're going to flip a switch and all these people they've implanted are going to do something? Do yeah. We don't they're know. They're going to make them oh, like zombies and go attack other people or political, you know, I mean. Are they going to make us close down our restaurants and They're going to make us close our <laughs> restaurants. Can't eat inside anymore, just like right just now. Just like right now. Okay, there's another episode of The Alien Probe Podcast. Thank you, Deb, for joining me. Thank you, Doug. That Appreciate was fun. It. I'd like to thank producer Robert, that I know who's done a lot of hard work getting this out. We're, you know, getting all there's a lot of downloads out there. We're in you know, over 16 countries. We're in 26 states and 54 cities, and you know, there's a lot. I mean, it's really take India again. Shout out to you. You guys are second only to the U.S. out there and gaining steam all the time. So. Send us some emails. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, send us an email at alienprobepodcast at gmail.com. Send us some comments, things you'd like. Even if it's something we've discussed before, we can most certainly revisit that. You can catch us on Spotify, Apple, Apple Podcasts, Instagram, Alien Probe Pod. And uh, we will see you next time. And I'll talk to you. Thank you. Bye.